Welcome to Behind Business, the podcast where quarter mentor experts discuss the most pressing issues facing business today. I'm Sean Aylmer, an economist and journalist for 25 years and host of the Fear and Greed Daily podcast. Cybersecurity is, without a doubt, one of the great challenges individuals and businesses face now and into the future, from small businesses right up to the largest corporations and government agencies. Already this year, we've seen plenty of Australian companies under attack, including the Nine Network, which was almost crippled by a cyber attack. Internationally, millions of dollars have been paid to hackers who used ransomware to shut down an oil pipeline in the US and global meat processing giant JBS. Today, in Behind Business, we're going to look at what boards need to be aware of and what they need to do to manage the risk of cyber attack and what can happen if they're unprepared. It's a complex field, but we have two experts to help. In this edition of the Behind Business podcast, we have Anna Leibel and Brendan Reed. Anna is a director of the Secure Board and is a sought-after advisor on transformation, data, cyber, leadership and culture. Anna, good morning. Good morning, Sean. Brendan Reed is a former detective from the Queensland Police High Tech Crime Investigation Unit and now a forensic partner who leads the cyber team at Quartermenta. Brendan, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Sean. Let's start with you, Brendan. I can't imagine there'd be too many boards around the place now unaware of the risk of cyber attacks. Are they doing enough to prepare for it? Oh, look, Sean, I'd say my initial response to that question would be that some are, but most are not. And in relation to the ones that are not prepared, I'd say that disparity comes from where and how those boards are receiving their information on cyber issues for the organisation. So, Some of those boards would be looking at their internal IT teams, hoping they'll give them the thumbs up that everything is fine. But it can really be an advantage to an organization when they get that independent set of eyes coming in and reviewing and reporting to the organization on their cyber risk position. And there are some very simple steps that organizations can take to look at addressing that and be prepared. And some of those steps are things like a cyber health check, Uh, development of a cyber incident response plan, testing that plan, as well as uh, a big part of it is educating your staff, uh, which is critical. I'm going to come back to some of those issues in a moment. Anna, bringing you into this, what's a director's current obligation around cybersecurity and is it changing? It certainly is, Sean. I think at the highest and most simplistic level, board directors are accountable for risk, culture and solvency. And so if you just apply the risk lens, we now know that cyber is in the top three risks of most organisations. I'd be surprised if it's not at least number one or number two. But we are seeing the government and therefore the regulators actually start to make bolder moves around what boards are actually accountable for. So a few years ago, APRA released their standard called CPS234, which is an information security standard. That actually states that the board and the executive team must own information security. I was actually working in financial services at the time and had to implement the requirements to meet that standard. So I definitely think that was a really great step and it definitely helped create buy-in more broadly than the technology team. And then the Australian Cybersecurity Strategy actually plans to include changes to the director's duties under the Corporations Act. So I definitely think it's starting to shift and I do think that is a good thing. Okay, so clearly they're liable for it. I'm just going to go back to, Brendan, what you were talking about, the health check, incident response, education. If I'm a director, it's really challenging to understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And I am a director of a small business, to be honest, and I have no idea, right through to the major banks and miners and the directors and those sorts of organisations. So it goes right across the spectrum of businesses. What are the sorts of things they should be asking 
in board meetings? What are the sorts of things they should be thinking about, even if they don't actually understand the technical aspects of it? Yeah, sure. And I think they need to be understanding as best they can the sort of uh, risk exposure they have to cyber-related incidents. And every business and organisation is going to be different. And it'll depend on what type of sector that that particular organisation works in as to what level of risk mitigation that they need to take. So certain sectors such as uh, the financial sector or um, the energy sector may have their own cyber security frameworks that they need to adhere to. And also the other complication that comes into it now is this cloud-based computing that everyone's moving to. So a lot of organizations have their data sitting in third-party platforms. So as soon as they're putting their own personal data into those third-party platforms, the organization is taking on the risk that that third party applies to their client data. So they need to really understand what that third party is doing and what steps they're taking to protect their own personal data. Because with the changes in the regulation, the regulators becoming more active in this space, uh, organizations really need to be understanding where they're exposed to risk. And, And if there is an incident, what exactly do they need to do in terms of responding to that incident? Brendan, what are the most common types of attacks we're seeing at the moment? Oh, look, uh, Sean, phishing attacks definitely are up there. They're easily deployed to an organisation and they can be even more targeted when the uh, the threat actors are actually doing their own intelligence gathering and looking at an organisation and identifying who are the key individuals they need to be communicating with. So phishing attacks, and just for the purposes of your listeners, it can be something as simple as receiving an email with a link in there that the employee clicks on inputting their credentials and they're actually providing those credentials to an external third party, a known third party. I'm also seeing attacks where hardware is being accessed through vulnerabilities, where organizations aren't patching those devices to the latest updates, uh, similarly to a computer having operating system updates. So everyone gets the Windows updates. They normally come out quite regularly. Even the hardware that's part of your IT ecosystem needs to be updated. So whether it's a network-attached storage box that's sitting inside the organization, all these devices that are all intertwined into the network need to be considered risks and a potential vulnerability to be coming into the organization. Okay, Anna, ransomware. I mean, why has that suddenly become so popular? And just to define ransomware, that's where people are demanding a ransom to unlock your systems. And even if they do, that may not occur immediately and may occur slowly and they may on-sell your data. So there's lots to it, isn't there, Anna? There certainly is, Sean. And there's lots of discussion now going around with businesses around whether you pay the ransom or not. There is also a perception amongst, I suppose, directors and executives, so more non-technical executives, that a ransomware attack actually progresses quite quickly, whereas other organisations that have actually experienced one find that often it can have their systems out of action for a number of weeks, if not months, and sometimes the recovery efforts are taking up to nearly a year. So, Brendan, who does it? I think that's kind of the $64 question. Yeah, Sean, look, you've got a a number of various sort of sophisticated, organised criminal networks that are deploying these sorts of attacks. They're very effective at it and they've got the ability to deploy quite quickly. There's new variations of ransomware that are coming out that the speed that they're able to deploy the ransomware, the malicious software on on the network is unprecedented and it's becoming a, a real problem. 
their ability to not even needing to encrypt entire data storage volumes of information, but just partially encrypting files as they sort of move through the network and even partially encrypting, which means that they can move a lot quicker. It's still just as devastating as if they've encrypted the whole volume of data storage. So very devastating to an organization. And also what I'm now seeing is before the ransomware is actually deployed, the threat actors are in there and they're normally in there for a considerable amount of time, normally months before they deploy the ransomware. Uh, And during that time, they're doing their reconnaissance, looking around, seeing what data is sitting where and, and what value they could put on certain pieces of data. And then they'll find methods to exfiltrate that data out of the organization. And we're talking large quantities of data being sucked out of a corporate network without the owners of that network having any idea that this information is actually going out the back door. And then after they have a copy of that data, they then deploy the ransomware attack. And then if the organization chooses not to pay on the ransomware, well, then they have leverage in terms of the data that they currently hold, a copy of their confidential and corporate data. So in a sense, they could sell that on the black market too. If they're not getting the ransomware out of the company, the potential is for them to sell that data. Yeah, correct. Yeah, The ultimate goal is for them to make as much money as possible and to leverage the victim as much as possible. So where an organization may think they can roll back to a previous backup in time, and that's a method to fully recover their data, it potentially may be. There are certain risks with that as well. However, the criminals understand that and they're using that now as leverage uh, in terms of having a copy of that information and either selling, on selling that to another third party or um, making these corporates pay big amounts of dollars. Brendan, hackers are now advertising for people with access to secure information to join them and presumably share the profits. What's brought that about? It sounds an amazing thing to be happening. Yeah, Sean, it is. And it's a scary sort of new twist on how they're marketing their services. They understand that the actual victims of these types of attacks, also holders of potential credentials themselves, and then they can be part of the profit-sharing beast that these ransomware attackers are deploying. So, It really, as a board member, you'd be sitting there thinking, managing the disgruntled employee situation or who actually has the keys to the kingdom in terms of sort of the IT network administrators and sort of what sort of level of access do those people have. You've got consultants that might be coming in and you may be providing credentials for them to go in and do certain pieces of work. And it's just sort of managing those risks around when you're providing those credentials, where could that information then be sort of be passed on to now? And And these criminals are now giving you a direct access to um, provide that information and make money on the side at the same time. So it is a real difficult and challenging environment that we're now sort of facing. Anna, what are you seeing? I've heard of hackers actually hiring out or renting office space within corporate city centres and creating jobs and calling potential candidates at other organisations that have got access to the type of information that hackers really need to help them infiltrate systems. So that might be someone who works in more of a technology architecture type role. And the salary that they're offering is enough to get the candidate to at least come along to a few interviews. And what they do through the process of a number of interviews is actually ask them to draw the company's architecture up on a whiteboard. So they're basically using an employee to help gain that really critical information and confidential information. So Brendan, has COVID made a difference? Everyone working from home, remote working, has it changed things? Yes, it definitely has. It becomes a lot harder to manage your employees when they are working remotely. They're not physically in the office. 
you've got the risk of employees connecting to their own home networks, you know, plugging in devices that they've got access to on the home front, and you just don't know what sort of malicious software might be sitting on those devices when they're plugging them in. It all comes down to how an organization is actually configuring and managing those types of risks. But with COVID, it didn't give organizations very much preparation time. So if they weren't already set up to work in a remote environment, they were sort of thrusted into that situation very quickly and just had to adapt on the fly. And that has just created an absolute massive amount of cyber-related risks for organizations. Anna, do you have anything to add to that? I sure do, Sean. So I was fortunate or unfortunate to live through that. I was actually working in financial services as we went into the restrictions in Victoria in particular last year. And it really did help that I had just finished implementing a three-year cybersecurity strategy with the cyber team at the organisation that I was working at. And so therefore, it was a very seamless transition to the organisation being able to effectively work from home. The other thing is that the Australian Cybersecurity Report that's just come out actually shows that they had 67,500 cyber crime reports in financial year 2021. Wow. So that's actually one in every eight minutes. And so there's actually, they can see through the numbers and the reports of those cyber attacks that people working from home in COVID has created a very ripe opportunity for the hackers. Anna, if I'm sitting on a board right now, what are the sorts of questions I should be asking management about cybersecurity? What are the things I should be thinking about? So, Sean, the first thing that I would uh, recommend is not always to direct the questions to the person that's accountable for IT or cyber, which is usually rolls up into IT. So yeah. I'd be directing questions to the person that's accountable for procurement and legal, so the contracts that you have in place with your vendors. So I'd be wanting to understand what partners or vendors have access to our sensitive information as an organisation. What contracts do we have in place around their accountability for keeping our data safe? in the event that they actually do suffer a cyber attack themselves, what SLAs or service levels do they have around having to notify us of that attack? I would also be asking the CEO to really talk about when they're sharing cyber updates at those company briefings or, or meetings that they have and the questions that I'd be directing to the IT leader or the security leader if they attend your board meetings is really around the work they're doing around technology controls, what strategy they have in place and developed, what's going to be different once that strategy has been implemented and really building a relationship with that security leader because that role holds so much accountability and you really don't want to be meeting that person for the first time as a board member if you actually are under a cyber attack. Do you have to be a big business to do this, Brendan, or is it smaller businesses should be doing this as well? Oh, look, Sean, I think every organisation should be taking a cyber risk seriously, no matter sort of how big or small. And I even understand with the current environment, we're all sort of going through COVID. A lot of organisations are suffering from cash flow issues, that sort of stress, but it doesn't preclude them from having the discussion at the board level from starting to put together a roadmap of how they can move forward in terms of meeting their objectives around cyber risk. You know, Anna's spoken about culture. That's something that can happen internally in the, the organisation. But they definitely want to start having those discussions internally and start that sort of roadmap happening rather than leaving it 
not putting any steps in place, no processes in place, and then suffering a significant data incident that they're then trying to manage and the fallout from that, which might relate to customers in terms of infected individuals and even the regulator stepping in. And and we're definitely starting to see the regulator take particular interest in organisations that aren't taking appropriate risk mitigation steps. And how can managers and boards become more knowledgeable about all this? I think the first piece is to really become or take accountability for your own cyber literacy. So really finding a way that you can learn that you're comfortable with. So that might be a blend of things. It might be podcasts, articles, books or formal training. And I think that's really around gaining the confidence of what questions you need to be asking, whether you're working within the management team or sitting on the board. And I think that nowadays cyber can be quite daunting and there is a lot of technical jargon associated with it. So if you are either reading or listening to something you don't understand, then you're not, you haven't got the right people to help you build that cyber literacy. I think the other piece is really understanding what a good cyber security strategy looks like. And it can't be a technology focused strategy anymore. It needs to be focusing on your entire organisation. And the other piece, and Brendan's touched on this already, but I cannot reiterate how important it is to have an incident response plan. So that's part of your business continuity planning, but it's something that you need to practice on a regular basis. I would encourage either boards or subcommittees of the board to participate in simulations to really test those so that the learnings from them can keep being built in to really help prepare the business for a cyber attack. But the other thing that I've experienced that works really well is through those simulations to also at times remove a really critical role from the simulation. So imagine if you actually experienced a real cyber attack that your security leader or your CIO was on annual leave. And so during those simulations, take the CEO out of the simulation, pretend Mm. they're on annual leave or your IT leader or your security leader. And I think you learn a lot when you pull those really strong leadership roles out of a cyber attack. So Anna, you read a bit about companies confident that they're compliant with their processes and policies and taking out insurance against cyber risks. Is that enough? Should you be comfortable if you've done that? No, it's really around today. A strategy is not focusing on being compliant or having an insurance policy. From a compliance perspective, they're really good measures to have in place. And I advocate for organisations meeting those regulatory compliance requirements. But similarly to have an insurance policy, it's really around thinking through the implications to your business of a cyber attack. And an insurance policy and being compliant is not going to protect your reputation and your brand. It's not going to really protect you from the financial impacts of an attack. So today it's a really fine balance around insurance of how much the policy will actually cover you for versus how much the premium is each year. And more often now we're hearing of probably smaller organisations rather than larger are actually choosing to self-insure in the event of a cyber attack. Okay, so I'm going to ask you both. Brendan, can I, if I run a business, be confident that I can be cyber secure or not? Sean's good question. It's it's an ongoing process. It's not a, just a one-off sort of ticker box type exercise with cyber risk management. It's ongoing, whether that is education and training, simulation exercises, external sort of review, penetration testing of your network, all these things that are all about mitigating risk, but they're an ongoing process because the setup that you have in your organization this year might be totally different next year in terms of the technology you use, 
the applications that you're deploying on the network, that sort of thing. So it's something that needs to be sort of continually developed. Anna, what's your answer to that question? Can I be cyber secure? So, Sean, you've made me reflect on my experience coming on to five years ago when I was the CIO and getting asked that question by the board. And five years ago, I would have answered you yes. And at the time, the discussion was really around how much investment do you need to keep the organisation safe? And it's just the pace of the emerging threats around cyber that's making it very challenging for organisations to keep up. They're so sophisticated now. I think it's a very fine balance between as a board and an executive focusing and exploring around the controls that are in place to prevent a cyber attack, along with making sure that you're focusing on how prepared you are to get through an attack. That's a good place to leave it. Anna, thank you for talking to Behind Business. Thanks very much, Sean. Brendan, thanks for the chat. Not a problem, Sean. Thank you. It's been a fascinating conversation today. Cybercrime is a major issue facing business and the challenges will only get tougher. COVID has given cybercrime a kick along and perpetrators are becoming increasingly creative in how they're infiltrating organisations. Phishing is still the most common type of cyber attack and ransomware is becoming more prevalent and sophisticated. Cybersecurity needs to be part of the risk culture of an organisation and everyone from directors and the CEO right through to junior staff need to take responsibility for it. Directors and managers must be across their cybersecurity responsibilities. No longer is compliance and insurance good enough, and no company is safe. Preparedness is critical. Educate staff, undertake a health check of your business, have an incident response plan ready, simulate attacks. I'm Sean Aylmer. Thanks for listening to Behind Business.